This is Spine, how books are put together. I'm your host, Holly Dunn, and in today's interview, I'm talking with Mark Campbell. Now, Mark is the head of design for HarperCollins Australia and New Zealand. This interview is a little bit different. I kind of wanted this to be a Working with Art Directors 101 podcast. So if you're a freelancer, especially if you are new to the world of freelance, how do you actually work with an art director? What should you expect? Um, What should you not expect? How does the process work? So that's what this is. But even if you are not uh, new to, to the industry, if you've been freelancing for a while I'm sure there's stuff that you will learn from this especially towards the end where we talk about the survey results from the Australian Book Design Association's survey that was done last year now Mark is the president of the Australian Book Design Association or ABDA and he has some interesting insights on this the survey covered issues such as contracts and revisions, and it's all really useful, practical stuff uh, that will be relevant wherever you are in the world as a book designer, um, even if you're not working in Australia. All right, here's Mark. I, I've got lots of notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um, Go normally, for it. normally for one of these, I have one page of notes at most okay. for this i've got three so um uh-huh. okay well we've got to yeah. get through a lot don't we we, we better <laughs> yeah. get cracking <laughs> all right good let's go for it okay so i just wanted to give a bit of context um so that people know what you do and and what i do um so we worked together on a book called how we met which is yep. um, by michelle a court a new zealand comedian and i think that how you came uh, how you found my work was through a postcard I had sent to you. Is that right? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. I think you'd sent me an email and then you also followed it up with the physical um, thing in the mail, which is always kind of refreshing to get. So that was, yeah, it kind of prompts you to kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that email. So it was, yeah, it was very nice. All right. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. And I just wondered to, to start off why you thought that I would be a good fit for that particular project? Um, I always like using new people. I, I think in my time at Harper, where I work now, and before that at a different publishing house, I just, uh, I worked out a long time ago that it wasn't really, the jobs that I do are not really about being the world's best designer myself, and I don't think I am at, by any stretch, but I love finding new people to work with. I like working with designers, whether they're people who work with me in the studio or they're freelancers. Um, I, I get a real thrill out of w- working with creative people and kind of being pleasantly surprised by the stuff that comes back at me. Whether or not the publishers are is a completely different story. But <laughs> my that's that's kind of, I, I, I kind of worked out that that's something I really enjoy doing. And I think particularly, you know, on that, on that book and for the New Zealand list, our New Zealand publisher is really keen to use Kiwi designers, which I completely am behind that as well. Like I love using, you know, trying to use Australian designers if I can for Australian books, um, especially if they're Australian content uh, specific books. And for New Zealand books, um, I think it's great. There are so many great New Zealand designers. So why not use New Zealand designers? Why use Australian designers? I just think it's kind of nice to do that. It feels right. And he, that's something that he really champions and I'm behind. Yeah. Uh, so HarperCollins New Zealand doesn't really exist as its own entity anymore does it it's it, do- all- it does it, it does doesn't. 
the design team doesn't. So oh, okay. I don't know if they had a design team at, at any at any point. Um, oh, but okay. they there is an office of like ten people. It's not it's not very large, but and it does have a publisher and it has a marketing team and a sales team. But the editorial and design comes out of Australia. So yeah. the head office in Sydney for Harper does the design and editorial for New Zealand. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so I have a bit of an admission. Um, and I, I don't know how obvious this was when you were working with me, but that's why I wanted to sort of go through all of this and sort yeah. of have have a bit of an overview of the whole process. But I hadn't really yeah. worked with art directors before this project. Uh, the, the previous book covers I'd done had been, well, I'd done one with HarperCollins in the US, but that had been yeah. a piece of art that I had made previously and they had approached me and said, can we license it and do a few tweaks? So this was quite yeah. new to me as a process and... I I cringe at some of the things that I probably did at that at that stage, and um, th- there was very little information out there that I could find on how to work with an art director, especially for book covers. And yeah. so I thought this could be really helpful to to yes. go through Definitely. for people I'm who are to... yeah in that position. Well, yeah, I think for me, the side of things, there is no right or, or wrong way to be an art director and mm. there is no right or wrong way to be a designer. Like you are just you and I'm me and we just kind of go through that process together. I, I don't think because, you know, you I'm, you might go through that process with other publishing houses and it will be completely different because everyone operates in a different way. We try to be, I mean, like we like to think that we are always thoughtful of the designer's feelings and, you know, while there are, of course, commercial kind of considerations that are happening in-house and publishers thinking things and marketing teams and sales think- teams thinking different things, we're always wary of, you know, uh, think- knowing that the designer has really put thought and effort and has, you know, either read a manuscript or looked up the kind of subject for whatever they're designing and they've really, they've put a lot of thought and, and of their emotion into this. So to be... Um, Always constructively critical, I think, is the right way to do it, as opposed to none of this is working. We hate it. We don't want to do this anymore. Or, yeah. you know, just finding something to uh, finding a way to come back and say, could we try this? What about this? But then I always I always like to leave it with the designer, as in I don't like to, you know, there are some times where there are specific things that we actually have to change. But otherwise, I will kind of make suggestions and then leave it to the designer because I don't want to ever be extremely prescriptive because what's the point in hiring a designer otherwise? Yeah. For sure. Okay. I'd like to go into that in a bit more detail in a bit. Sure. But to begin with, I'm curious about the, the process of creating a brief because you you, you get a manuscript and there's there's nothing really to go with it, I assume. And, and mm. you have to create something that is then is going to make sense to your marketing team and make sense to the designer. And hopefully the author will be happy with and all of that. Definitely. Well, we go through a process uh, at Harper Collins in Australia where we have a meeting called the positioning meeting, which is actually really helpful for design in particular. And it's very early in the process, we, which is when we get marketing and sales and publicity and the publisher and design together. And the publisher kind of does their spiel. And we basically discuss who the audience is, where they're going to find it, what sort of things they're, they're interested in, what shops they go to. And then we discuss the cover as well as in positioning the cover in the market like what is it what are comparative titles and covers that might it might be up against do we want to take a risk on this do we want to do something really different or should it really stay in the genre um, and be very kind of should it look like other things in the genre or should it should it be brave and do something different so we have that discussion maybe it's nine months or ten months before the book comes out and that's 
then that, that gives, you know, ideally, if it's not running late, it gives design, gives us a couple of maybe like two months to kind of work on it before it needs to be approved and uploaded. And, um, and then that's probably another month before it has to go to print or another couple of months. So uh, we do that. And that's really helpful. And I guess from that, I take notes. Um, we get notes put into the online system from the marketing team. So we we kind of try to grab it. Look, the New Zealand books are a little different. So I can come to that, I guess, the stuff that you probably got a little bit of different information. But I guess from the Australian specific books, then we can grab, you know, the stuff about the book, about the author. We grab the marketing notes about the market. And then, I, then my notes about sort of just design specific things are put in. And then we normally drop in any references that we can from that discussion, whether it's the other other things in the market or things the author has thought that they would like us to consider. And we put all of that in the brief as well as the kind of actual specifics down the bottom. The New Zealand stuff has operated in the past differently. So they didn't do that meeting. So we had less transparency from our point of view of what what they're imagining it would be. So we would just have a conversation directly with the publisher, but we had no idea about what their sales team thought at, or, and kind of where they were kind of wanting to angle it or put it what you know what sort of shops would sell it and who was going to buy it uh, and that's changed very recently because we found that it wasn't working and actually or we kind of were kind of coming up against things and the covers weren't working so now we've implemented that uh, version of that over in new zealand um hopefully to make that a lot better and so they're having their own kind of mini meetings themselves and then we have a discussion with the publisher and we put a brief together mm. so at what point do you start making decisions about whether you're going to do it in-house or whether you're looking to, to hire a freelancer or, or an illustrator or photographer? Well, we have a team in-house. So, and I, and, and for by Australian standards, it's a, it's a relatively decent sized team by overseas standards. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's not compared to, I do hear how many people there are in, in say HarperCollins in the UK and yeah. probably in the US. And I feel very jealous <laughs> um, <laughs> because we have uh, the design team here is, is eight. But having said that, that's including myself. And then we have a studio manager. I have four book designers and then I have two marketing designers. So that having said that, it's not like I have seven uh, book designers. I only really have four and two marketing designers. And so I'm across the marketing collateral that comes out of the company as well. And also having said that, we do all those designers do, you know, everything from kids to kids to fiction and nonfiction and illustrated and everything. So it's a lot of work for a very small team of people. So that's, you know, obviously why we do freelance out because we can't get through the volume of work that comes through the company. So uh, the decision normally happens in that because we have these in-house resources and they're, they're incredibly talented and they can get through large volumes of work themselves. We normally look at the studio manager and myself kind of look at who the workloads of everyone and then and I and then she leaves it up to me to decide you know the books that are coming as we're getting to each month and we go okay so we're looking at December here's the titles and she says who you want you know who do you want to give what book and we look at who's free and who can how many books people can take on because we kind of know roughly how many some people can take on a bit more than others and I kind of I normally ask the designers I don't kind of just throw things at them. I say, are you free to take on some more work? I'm thinking this one would be really great. Sometimes <laughs> they're interested and sometimes they're not so keen. And there are ones that just have to sometimes stay in house because it's really tight. They've dropped in late. We don't have time to give it to a freelancer because we would literally be saying, you've got a week to do this and we need to go to print. Sure. So yeah. Uh, yeah, with the ones that we have more lead time, I generally preference the people in house because they're here and they're being paid and they are, you know, they're really, they, they all have very different skill sets. So I can normally kind of split the work amongst them. And if they're overworked or, um, or people are away on holidays, then I look for a freelancer and then work out who's kind of 
going to give going to do something really interesting with it or who's going to nail it very quickly as well i mean i guess that's the thing when you have a lot of books to get through and a lot of different publishers and different people to kind of please you you definitely unfortunately probably look for someone or look for the person that's going to get it really quickly so it's easy for you it's easy for the designer and then you can move on yeah. and sometimes i do have to challenge myself at that because i think that's probably not necessarily fair for other designers out there if you because you probably end up probably preferencing people that you've used before because it's it's just quicker and easier. So that's something that I always have to th- think about myself and make sure I'm trying kind of sharing the work around as much as I can. Mm. Well, that's definitely great for for the industry. Definitely, because there are so. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many great book designers, obviously in Australia and in New Zealand, but then. I don't even really get to kind of, you know, there's no, there's no limit to whether I could, I want, I could use someone from overseas, but I just, if I'm looking at the pool that's in Australia and New Zealand, I very rarely look overseas because there's so many great people here. And so I kind of think we should always shop local if, if we can. Yeah. And so in terms of finding those people, are you using social media much for that? I mean, people who are outside of your existing list? Definitely. And actually, I did listen to your interview with Paul Buckley and I <laughs> felt like he was talking out of my head because yeah. um, I thought, I don't I don't know him. I'm a fan of his, but I was like, wow, I do exactly the same thing in that people email me, you know, weekly. I always write back to people because I think it's they, you know, even if they have sent you a group, you're part of a group email they've sent to multiple people. I still think they've gone out of their way. They put themselves out on the limb. They deserve a response. So I always mm. write back to people. Sometimes it might take me a few days or a week or two weeks, um, but I flag it, I write back to them. If their work isn't right, I'm honest and I say, this probably isn't sort of the stuff that we do here. Maybe you should look here and I give them a pointer somewhere and people always seem to appreciate that. I just kind of always think who, what would I, if I was them, what would I want to know? If, if, if this wasn't the right place, I would want them to tell me who kind of might be interested in my work. So I always do that. And uh, yeah, Instagram, as uh, Paul said as well, is kind of, where I find a lot of people and I do the same thing as him because I actually should make collections on Instagram of, of illustrators and typographers and designers and different types of design. I should do that. And I'm probably lazy and I haven't got around to doing that. But I, if there's someone that really grabs me, I, I click onto their website and then I forward their website to myself at work so that when I come in, I will open it up and I bookmark them. And I have like all different tabs of bookmarks of, different types of designers and photographers and stylists and illustrators and all that sort of stuff. So I, and whenever something comes up for a freelancer, I go in there and I troll through and I open up, I'll open up 20 windows of all different folios and just kind of click through them and think and look through and think about the book that we're doing and, you know, whether they would be right. So definitely Instagram has really changed how you've, it's the discoverability, but it's, you really then with that, you need to kind of work out how you're going to, find those people again in the future because there's been so many times when I have been like, who's that amazing person? And then I'll sit there searching names that I think their name is and never find them again. Yeah. No, I I definitely do that too. It's a, (laughs) there are so many (laughs) people to follow. There Uh, are. And you never see them again. Like, you know, if you are following over a thousand people, it's like the chances of that, their work coming up again when you're looking like every few, you know, a couple of times a day is really rare. Yeah, so you need to come up with a really catchy username that people will remember. That is it. Mm. <laughs> That's it. The secret to success. Correct. Yeah, but hopefully catchy, as you said, catchy enough that people won't forget it and that it's really obvious for them to find you. Yeah, mm. so that's that's yeah. the trick. 
And then we talked about uh, postcards briefly before, uh, yep. but is that you're obviously postcards are harder to to do they take time to put together they take money to to print and to post so would you would you say it's worth that extra effort to to send a postcard or is it better to send an email i think the email is still going to be if you if you get the if you get that person's actual direct email, but even then, having said that, I get forwarded emails from reception here, from reception in New Zealand, where they say, "Oh, this illustrator has contacted us, or, or this designer." Um, so they forward them on, and I do flag those, and I write back to them. So the email and the folio attached is still, or, the, or even just the website attached with the, with the folio on it, is still kind of the main way that I find and save people and remember them. The postcard is just a nice kind of addition. Or someone the other day sent me their folio in a kind of broadsheet newsprint style. It was all folded up and it was quite oh, wow. it was quite great. Quite great. And I shared it with the studio and they thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it was just, a, as you said, like a different way of doing the folio. So, you know, and you, when you meet up with people, they show it, show it to you on their iPad. There's lots of different things like that. But it, it's not, I would say it's not necessary. It's just something quite nice because, yeah, as you said, like people don't send snail mail anymore. So it is a pleasant thing to receive sometimes on a day, mm. but not essential. Okay. And are there any red flags that would make you think, I'm not going to work with this designer? <laughs> God, that's a tricky question. Do you mean from a design point of view? I mean, there are plenty of times when people have, as I said, there were people have emailed me and their work is really not right for even, you know, they think they might be wanting to do kids design. And I think mm. your work feels more educational. Um, or it feels more kind of academic. I was thinking so that's that's hard to know. Yeah, more from a communication point of view. Um, so assume that the work is good, but w- yep. would there be anything that would really put you off? Working with someone again? Yeah, or, or even you know going any further with them. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe people send you an email every week with updates to their portfolio or something like that. Well, that would definitely, well, look, that, yeah, that would be, you know, probably uh, too much to yeah. receive and you would probably not respond as often to that. So I would say, def- I think if you are updating a follow, and I always say to people, if you have new stuff on your site or if you've got new work in a PDF, definitely send it through to me because I, because, you know, people's style evolves um, mm. and they kind of discover new ways and, and maybe they might also discover like a really, sweet spot of something that they're doing that nobody else is doing so i think it's always great to update art directors um and um people uh, creative directors with your with your new work um but it can be quarterly or every you know every six months if you've got like a because you want to make sure that you've got a bunch of stuff before you send it to them you don't want to say like hey i've done one new thing and here's the whole folio again so if you've got a bunch of things it's great to send it through to, to me i i quite like that so i think constant yeah, harassment or emails would be a red flag. Of course, I think yeah. that would be a red flag for anyone. But I, the only other red flag, I think, or sometimes things that make me wary, of course, people who are difficult to work with or take things really personally or don't want to make changes to their design because, you know, we all hate having to, you know, sometimes we all hate when you've done something and you're like, this is amazing. And then, some, and then someone comes and goes, I'm not sure about this and this and this and this. Can we rethink that? And you're and you, and you inside your head, you think, no, it's perfect. I'm not changing it. But of course, outside you're like, oh, yeah, we can definitely look at options for that. And it is hard to kind of swallow your pride. But, it, you know, design is about finding solutions to problems. It's not we're not here to be artists. I mean, we are artists in some ways because we create kind of visuals. But design, whether it's graphic design or interior design or landscape design, you are finding a solution to a problem and you have a client. It's not like 
you're an artist where you get to work for yourself and you create something and you're like, I don't care if you like it, this is what it is. You are there as a, you are, it sounds terrible to think that you are a service because you're not, you are bringing, I think design, especially in a publishing house, design is bringing an emotional response in a visual kind of way to the story. So there's not many other people in the publishing house that are looking at the manuscript and reading it and responding that way because everyone else is doing technical kind of work on the book or looking at kind of how it can be sold. So designers are the only people who are really inside the house, apart from the publisher, having that kind of emotional response. So I think you, you aren't just a service, but if people are, um, uh, can be difficult to work with. I think that that sort of makes me wary, I think, about working with them again, because, you know, we're always kind of slammed and there's never a shortage of stuff to do. So we don't need people to say um, yes to everything. They can kind of state their case. And I like designers who say, I think that doesn't really work. I really think we should use this. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I really like when I do that because I pass it back to the publisher and I say myself and the designer, normally I will agree with the designer. I'll say, this doesn't work. We've tried it. Look at it. It's awful. So I think we need to go with what we had before. And they will, once they see it, normally they will agree with you and they can, you know, be happily be converted back to that. Yeah. It's, it's just, we kind of always need to have people who are really easy to work with and make, and you know, cause we are just making books. We're not doing brain surgery. So I yeah. think it needs to be, everyone needs to enjoy what, enjoy what they're doing. And the other thing I was going to say is people who don't respond on email. That's kind of a red, red flag to me. Yeah. We have, there are plenty of brilliant designers and illustrators and what, and photographers. And then there are, and there are some of those, even if they're brilliant, who just never write back to you or you chase them five times and eventually they write back to you. And if you're up against a deadline, you don't have time for that. And it doesn't matter whether they're just terrible at email or correspondence or they're just doing it on purpose. Either way, it's just it's not conducive to like a really kind of easy way of working. So you really have to want to work with that person again if their work is exceptional to kind of hire them again if yeah. they just if they take, if they just don't write back to you for weeks. So. They're the kind of things that really um, probably made me wary. Mm, and I think with that, that idea of if you have a design and you know, th- there are changes that you don't agree with as a designer or or, um, or you've already been through, it's a case of being kind of solution orientated and saying, well, yeah. maybe this yeah. doesn't quite work, but could we do this instead rather than just saying, no, I don't like this. Oh, completely. And that's exactly how I, what I when I talk to the guys in-house here, I always say, it's, that's just like kind of, it's almost like management 101. It's like if yeah. someone comes to you with an issue or if they're not thinking what you're doing is working, you don't, you don't, you can't just go back and say, well, I'm just staying with what it is. And that's the only thing you can't just dig your heels in. You have to go, okay, I will give you two or three other options for what I think works. And I always say, you find, you find what works for you and what you think looks great from a design point of view, because you shouldn't have to kind of sacrifice good design because someone thinks they want that size font there and they want that to turn to that color. You don't have to go with that. Just say, just come up with something that addresses what the issues that they're bringing up. Because they won't, publishers and editors or authors won't know the solution, but they'll know what they don't like. So they'll say, this isn't working for me. And you go, that's just, po-. and I always say, which of the bits that aren't working? What would you like to work better in terms of, do you want the na- that name to be bigger? Do you want this color to be softer or bolder or whatever, we'll find the solution. You don't need to kind of come up with that, even though some do like to. It's That's our job to come up with the solutions. That's kind of what we're here for. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the, then we move on to the actual design process. So if, once you've found a designer and they've said, yes, I'm free, I'm available to do this work, 
do you yeah. then have some kind of discussion um and is it over email is it via phone how do you then go about saying okay this is the direction we're going with well we send the brief through normally we we don't con- uh we don't really contact people anymore until we have the brief and we know you know we will choose our first preference of freelancer and then they might not be free but we send them the brief with as as complete as possible like we don't want to kind of drip feed the information through email so we will send them something that has all this all the specs they need to know in terms of um even just in terms of file delivery and you know dpi and how we need it kind of all set up so we send them and the dates for delivery as well and the fee and everything's included um so it's very as complete as it possibly can be and then we always well i always say if you have any questions about this once you've read it through if you want to see sometimes we will send the manuscript sometimes we don't if we don't have it but i always say if you want the manuscript i will hunt it down for you from the publisher or as much as we can even a couple of chapters um and then it kind of can be any way that they want i'm happy if a if a designer says i've had a read through can we have a chat can i just call you for like 20 minutes sometimes that happens and i will do that or it can be by email uh, i guess obviously with the guys in house we we might have a discussion in person and there's been a couple of freelancers who i've had a chat with in person about some briefs if it hasn't made sense to them or they've come into sometimes they've come into if it's a big author they might have come in to present or to show the things to us and then me and that person might have a discussion in person because it is easier in person than it's definitely email is not great i think email is not great for many reasons you know just because you can't read tone and everyone always either sounds kind of uninterested or angry unless you put like a thousand yeah. exclamation exclamation marks to sound <laughs> lots of smiley faces yeah <laughs> so many smiley faces because otherwise you sound really angry or you yeah. sound really short and even if you were asking something really and even in your head you're like it sounds really nice i'm just asking for this to be delivered you sound aggressive so yeah. <laughs> i'm always i'm always worried <laughs> about that because by the by phone is even just hearing someone's voice, it's, it's, it's harder to kind of, or it's easier to kind of, um, uh, to kind of gauge, you know, and people's reactions and to have, and to be more human and actually just have that conversation. And it, I think everyone goes away feeling better about it when you speak in person. So yeah. there, there's no kind of set rules, I think, for how we discuss um, a brief. Okay. And did you have a question about how that happens, what happens after that? Um, yeah, so... I mean, obviously, it's going to be different depending on if you're working with a designer or an illustrator or a photographer, and yep. each of those people are going to have different ways of doing it depending on what their process is. But yep. I just sort of, sort of more general question about how how they differ. So if you're working with an illustrator, are you just getting them to create the artwork and then everything else gets laid up in-house? It and depends whether that, yeah, and there's also different ways. And so the studio manager and I always talk about that because we uh, normally the way that we commission an illustrator is that uh, either the freelance designer or the designer in-house will identify and pick the, and il- some illustrators that they want to work with. Say if we've decided we'd like to try an illustrated cover for this particular book or a typographic cover, uh, I don't prescribe anything to the designers. I leave it to them and I say they'd like to try an option which has got it's just type or illustration. So then they will come back when they're ready with concepts using normally what we do is we use existing uh, examples of that person's work. So we'll work it up very roughly, some rough concepts or directions. And then normally we take that back. We take that to a covers meeting in a very rough directional stage, just because 
we don't want to engage an illustrator and potentially their agent and spend quite a lot of money for a typographer or a photographer if everyone's not sure about the direction. So we normally will bring it and say, these are directions only. These are existing illustrations. We're actually going to commission the person. So we will actually choose the objects or the colors um, or the kind of font that they're going to do. But this is we want to use their work. So it will look kind of roughly like this. So we normally present that to sales and you know, all, and the publishers and the yeah, and our CEO and whoever else is in the room and, and everyone, you know, if everyone's in agreement, then we go ahead and we will contact that person and work with them. Sometimes we might license stuff from illustrators and photographers and type typographers. So we don't have to always commission it because if there's actually a piece out there in their folio and it's not, doesn't, the copyright isn't with somebody else, then we will ask if we can license it. Um, and that's a different kind of setup. And it's a different type of fee. So we will license it just for use on that, on that book cover. Uh, but it normally... It only comes through the designer, whether it's the freelancer or the in-house person, whoever's whoever's doing it. So I think it's always that it's always good for freelance illustrators and photographers and all those sorts of crafts to contact other book designers in in um, publishing houses because they also, if they've got if they're following them on Instagram and they've got them in mind, then they will use their work on concepts, and that's how those people get employed and get money as well. And then, so once you've got a, a set of concepts you know, the, the first round, yep. how, how many people need to sign those off? First round, if it's not that kind of, you know, if we're not trying to approve a direction, like, as I said before, normally it's not too many people. It's normally, um, it'll be myself and the publisher. It depends on each division because we have a lot of four divisions here. Uh, each division works slightly differently. Some divisions, it'll be the full team will sign off on it in a, we have a catch up with each division each week and, so normally in some divisions, actually, most of them, they're sale or representative from sales and one from marketing and the publisher will be there. So normally they will kind of sign off in it. And if we're reworking it, we'll go back to the designer and then we'll bring it back again to one of those kind of smaller catch-ups. And then when everyone's happy with it, we will take it to the covers meeting in which like a wider group of people come. So the head of digital sales will come, the sales director, the CEO, and those are the people kind of also that have, won't have seen it at all. Um, and so that we need sign up from them as well as the kind of the people within that division. So yeah, normally it's it's a small it's a smaller group, but we feel normally confident, hopefully, well I should say, that once that smaller group have signed off on it and they're really happy with it, it it's very rare that it does happen. It's very rare that we'll take it to covers and that it will be shut down or we'll have to kind of go back to the drawing board because normally uh, most people are very experienced and know kind of what's going to work and what's not going to work. Mm. And and how finished are the covers looking at this point? Um, because especially if you're working with an illustrator, um, are, are they doing sort of brief sketches and sending them to you to get that signed off before they then go ahead and, and do them or do yeah. a more finished design? Normally, it can be more finished if we're going to if we we normally will go back to the illustrator or freelancer and say we're taking this to the covers meeting and they might say can i just refresh it's a bit rough um, yeah. i want to just kind of neaten things up but we never we never want people to do a high res cover uh, for covers meeting and that you know especially if, if we've licensed images from places no and, and we're doing a lot of photoshop work to something it might be it still might be a bit rough and a bit choppy just because once the, we've got the approval from that meeting and the, then we get author approval as well we normally wait for covers meeting approval and author approval before we even license the high res and then the designer will or we or the illustrator will create high res and then we'll kind of we make a final high res cover which goes again to the publisher just for them to see it finally 
in all its glory. And when they sign off on it, they might even send it to the author again. Depends on how big the author is. Once we have that, then we then it's ready to go out into the world. So there's there's definitely a lot of like safeguards and a lot of steps, and all of it's to trying not to work on things endlessly uh, unless we have to. So mm. we're definitely trying to trying to cut down the workload of fiddling with things forever until we have approval of, of a direction and then we can actually look at a high-res image because when you're doing high-res and you're you know painting hair in or you're kind of photoshopping all different things together it takes you know someone can spend the better part of a day or a couple of days doing that so it's it's a waste of time if if the, if the direction is not approved sure yeah makes a lot of sense yeah um so when you're hiring a, a freelancer especially if it if it's somebody doing the whole design are you hiring for their creativity or do you tend to be looking at a particular piece that they've done in the past and going this is the kind of thing that we would like but for this book so is this a, is this a designer say are you talking about yeah ra- rather than somebody who's just creating a piece of custom artwork or or a, yep. a, a photograph a, a designer who's who's doing the whole thing yeah and actually i remember you mentioned that before sorry i didn't get to that we do. There are some design, uh, some designers who are also illustrators who we will mm. who will do the illustration and then also do the cover. And normally those, the you know, and that's a kind of rare breed of person, and they're kind of quite amazing, especially if they have the technical know-how to set up a, a, a book cover and do all the checks that are required. Um, you know, checking kind of all the different separations and ink levels and doing all that and making sure all their all their kind of you know, we have a checklist here that we send to all our freelancers. Um, some people look at it more than others. <laughs> but uh, when you get an illustrator who, you know, not only have they created custom artwork for you, but they have also laid out the file and it is like foolproof and it comes in and our pre-press staff are just over the moon because they literally don't have to do anything to the file because it's just ready to go to the printer. So that that we definitely do engage. And so then we kind of, it's a different fee because we also license, we pay them to, create artwork and they also kind of have a design fee that's kind of built into that. So depends depends what they want to do. Sometimes we say to the illustrators, do you want to just do the illustration and we'll we'll drop it into the file template and do all the checks or do you want to lay out the full cover? And normally if they know that they can, they say they would like to because then they kind of get to do all the final checks themselves and make sure everything's okay. Mm. But say with designers, am I looking for people to replicate kind of stuff that they've done before i guess is potentially what you're asking sometimes sometimes you you might know that someone did a cover for the publishing house you work for or for a different publisher and you might be looking for them i mean i am kind of completely against replicating covers it's not only is it just kind of copyright breach but it's i don't know you know that's that's already done that's out in the world by the time this book comes out it's two years after that book was even start they started working on that book we've moved on, it's evolved. So I'm not sure why we need to copy it. The design world and the art world is by its very nature, everyone is referencing everyone else. So that's fine. So referencing other people's work is not an issue because that's been going on forever. And things can be kind of reductive, I guess, in that way. But you don't want ever it to ever be the same. And there are sometimes covers out in the world where it is literally the same cover. And it's like, it's cringeworthy, especially if you know the one that came first and set the trend and then you see the other ones. And I just think you can always come up with something really interesting and unique if you have the time and you have the right person working on it. So we don't need to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and designers hate being asked to to <laughs> do <Yes. laughs> a version of their own work. Like, can you do the same thing, but make it different and slightly different color? Ben? Yeah. So no one loves that, but you know, everyone, they all kind of, everyone wants work. And so 
I think they understand that it is it's commercial and it's work. I think that more the way I look at it is there are certain designers that work really well in particular genres. So if it's freelancers, I know particular designers that I go, that person does these type of covers so well and that person does these type of covers. And it doesn't mean that they can't work outside their genre and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to pigeonhole people, but there are just people who kind of that they have a specialty in a particular type of look. So it might just be the look you're after and they can go outside of it if they want. But I think that's normally what I'm looking for is if, if, if I know I need a particular, or we want a particular look, then I will pull up half a dozen people that I think can do, can do that look and then decide how far we want to take it in or outside of the genre. And how about personal work that they've done? Say somebody wants to go in a, a particular direction and they've created some covers that sort of are, are examples of that. Are you more comfortable working with something like that if it hasn't already been licensed to another publisher? Oh, like, so if they have work that we, we might want to use, that existing work, their, their personal work. Or or a direction in their work that they may be exploring within their, their personal stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. And we, there was someone recently that someone, uh, an author suggested for a book cover and we Googled her and I think she was an artist from the UK. And the piece that we were potentially interested in, I'm not sure if we're going to use it or not, is it's a personal piece of her. So it's something that she was just, you know, it wasn't something that she had done for a client or um, for another book cover. So she'd written on there, this is a personal study that I'm working on. And that's the piece that we are most interested in out of all the stuff on her website. So you just, you never know. So put it all up, put it all up there and put it all on Instagram because there is no science behind, this is the thing, like I, you know, whenever you get asked, not especially when you go to do things at festivals or um, educational things or stuff like that, actually, or even internally at sales conferences, um, people are always like, oh, can you just get up and um, talk about how like a cover comes together and the process behind that? And in terms of like this, there's the, there is the process that we're talking about, the actual technical kind of correspondence and how we put a brief together, that's fine. But I think people think there's a formula or there's like some dark arts or magic that we're yeah. doing. And it's like, there, it isn't, it's literally you get a manuscript and you get a brief and then a designer goes away and they use their creative brain and they respond to it. There's it's, I, yeah, I'm sort of like, I can't give you any like uh, secrets salespeople <laughs> about, about how we do this. It's just using your kind of, you know, using your visual brain. And it's, I know it's, it's probably very unexciting for them to hear that because they want you to tell them how to do it, but there's not really anything else to it. I don't think. Yeah, well, that's what we're sort of trying to do with with this podcast and and with Spine generally is trying to break down different people's processes and just show how different everybody is. It's, it's really different, and yeah. I, but I I think this is great. You know, this what you're doing with the podcast and what Spine does in general because it is really it's such a you know around the world doesn't matter where you are. It is you know publishing is really niche and it's really insular. And I remember when I was trying to get into it, I came from a film background and I was like, I think I want to be in publishing. I, like I love, I've always been a designer, but I was looking to get out of doing film and television and I had no idea how to get into it. And I, let alone get into design, I was like, what do you do in publishing? How do you do it? And so I spoke to a bunch of people and then I did a, I did a, I did a course. I went back to university and did a publishing degree. And then I started from the bottom up. I just went in and was like, I'm just going to get in however I can get in because I have, it's like there's like a wall around publishing and that you have no idea what the jobs actually are <laughs> inside there because they're not, it's because it's not that large of an industry and the jobs probably aren't advertised that often or that many. 
you don't kind of you don't know many people who do those jobs so you don't know what what the job looks like and what it entails and what the day-to-day of that job is so until someone tells you or you actually go in there and just get in there and do it you have no idea so i went in and started in marketing in um in um publishing that was my first job like really junior because i needed to get in and i needed to see what it looked like inside a publishing house and it was really great and so i kind of never regretted that and i had actually really enjoyed i really enjoyed helping sell books even after i moved into design Mm. Okay, so back to the kind of concepts side of thing. We're nearly through the concepts. Um, okay. But quick question, which was how many concepts do you usually receive from a designer? I would not like it if it was less than three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would, sometimes if you get one or two, you're like, and if none of them, if they're not right, you're like, hmm, it's got nowhere to go now. Now I yeah. have to go back. I would say half a dozen is fine. Some people go nuts and they give you 12 Anywhere between six and or five and ten is fine. I think that can be really rough as well. Especially, I would say in that first round, you would want like, yeah, five between five and ten kind of really different directions, as opposed to sometimes people will give you one design and they've literally changed very tiny things on each, and you're like, well, they're actually the same design, so yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. But if you go really rough and really loose and kind of give a bunch. And then basically, hope you know, the, the aim is each round to narrow that down to so go, okay, so we liked these three. So let's work these up even more, but let's do a couple of variations of each. So come back with another half a dozen, but basically it's three concepts with like two or three variations to each. And then from that, we pick maybe two or maybe even one. And then, you know, this is the ideal process. And then maybe that one or two of the finals come to covers and we present two or three and, and then we pick them. Or sometimes if we're super sure we just present one at covers which our sales director always laughs at when we put one up because he says well i guess i have one choice that <laughs> cover isn't it <laughs> there's yeah. no options but yeah so uh i would say that's kind of more is good at the start they don't have to be like completely finished i think as you go through each round they should get a little bit more finessed yeah so yeah sure okay that's really interesting because that seems like quite a lot you're up to up to 10 seems like a lot of yeah it's a it seems a lot, I guess. It really does help because publishers are greedy and they, yeah. <laughs> they hopefully they won't listen to this, but they love to see different directions and they are normally visual people so they can know what they, they don't know how to make it something they like, but they know when they see something that they like. Yeah. So it does help. Okay. And do designers normally send in some information with that, do they usually make notes and say, you know, these are my thoughts on this one? Or do they just let the, the design speak for themselves? Either way, it doesn't matter. Sometimes they'll write it in an email. So they'll say, yeah. here are my, you know, here's the concepts, here are my thoughts. And then they'll do dot points and go, option one, I think this works really well because blah, blah, blah. Um, or they might do it in a, some of them do it in a presentation. So they will do the concept and then they'll make notes next to each one. Yeah. Sort of saying what the font is, why they think it really works. It references this period. Um, Either way, or some don't do any, some don't do any notes and that's fine. I'm not, I can kind of speak to it if I need to, because I can look at it and go, oh, cool. I think that's really great because it's doing this, whatever, you, however you want to work. If you want to s- send your notes in and you want to kind of make your voice heard, then please do it because it's really helpful. It makes, it, it, it makes less work, <laughs> makes less yeah. work for me. Yeah, I think it, it also depends who you're working with, because if, if you're working with an art director, they should be able to get that information just from the visuals but if you're working say directly with an editor or or somebody else then it's really helpful to have that information and and just justify those decisions i would agree i think in australia not all publishing houses have 
studios. Um, yeah. So some might just have a design manager, some might have the team like we do here. Um, but so if you are working with a publisher that doesn't have even a, an art director or a design manager or something like that, definitely send in your notes or on each direction because that will help that publisher because they will not publishers a lot of them probably won't have the visual language to kind of explain something um, to people or try and sell it to people. And also they want to know, they normally want to know your preference. So even the guys here, they will say, ask me what my preference is or what the designer's preference is. Um, and I will say, we both really like this one or, or, or something like that. So they definitely will take it into consideration. Mm. Yeah. I, I, that's something I like to do and that I didn't do at the beginning. And it's definitely helped in, in communicating with publishers yeah for sure and then we move on to the final artworks this is more kind of technical stuff and you know how how they're laying up the final design are they usually working in indesign i'm assuming yeah indesign for the final print file and then you know any of the links can be from illustrator or photoshop depending on what they're doing i mean we have harper has very specific guidelines around file delivery because uh and it's purely from our, we have a, we have an in-house pre-press team, which is rare, definitely in Australia. Um, and they are dealing with an enormous volume of work because they themselves do all the reprints or the co-pubs from overseas. So they're, they're dealing with a lot of their own work, but they also send all of the studio's work to print. So they need the files to come in and they need to be like, the files need to be kind of airtight and they kind of really just need to do their one pass over it. Um, so if there are kind of lots of, issues that haven't been fixed in terms of, of on the sign off sheet, they will kind of sometimes if they're really pressed for time, they will fix it themselves because it's easier than pushing back. But otherwise they will kind of come back to myself or the studio manager or the designer and say, here's all the issues. Here's a list of issues with this file. Can you fix these things? Most of the designers in-house now know what to check and what to look for. I'm always happy to go back to freelancers and tell them kind of what we need fixed because I think if you fix things, especially if I fix them or the people in-house fix them for freelancers, they'll never learn what to look for or what kind of, you know, what sort of thing, how they, how they should kind of, what checks they should be doing before they send something to print. And yeah. I don't think none of, the, none of the freelancers have ever minded when I've sent something back and said, we just need this kind of cleaned up or this actually has to be like this. I mean, it is, there are some things when it gets really technical in Photoshop where that's very hard to explain especially when the pre-press guys are for start experts in Photoshop, more so than myself. And we have some of the senior designers here. Um, one in particular is a Photoshop genius. So he, they will have techniques that, you know, that's not something you can teach by email to someone. So there are some certain times when I think, well, this is a really easy fix, like the barcode's off or it's a different size or we actually need to use this point size or things have to be five mil from the edge of the, of the border. Like these are all specifics for here. But um that's a really easy thing to go back and say, can you just check this? Because these things need to be right. But if you are asking someone something that they can't do, you know, if you are asking them, you are saying this Photoshop work is not right, that's that's a completely different conversation to have, I think. So because that's just someone's experience and someone mm. something that maybe they've learned over like 10 years, they've learned all these different techniques and you can't teach that to someone overnight. So that can be tricky to manage. Yeah, I remember one of the first jobs I did, I was asked to separate out the Pantones and th there was a, a spot colour being used and I, I was I found that so confusing and uh, especially because it's such a visual thing and you're, you're going, yeah. you're talking to somebody via email and it's just, I, I'm it's not really sure what you're talking about. <laughs> you need someone to, yeah, exactly. Like, I think designers 
need like they're great they'll learn really quickly but you need to be sitting so with someone at the monitor and they yeah. go so what you do is you click here and then you do this and then and then, and then you're like i get it that was actually so easy but if you were trying to explain to someone as you said on the phone or by email it's like it's it, you're just like your mouse is just going around on the screen and no one you, you're all you're clicking on completely different things and feeling really yeah. stressed and um, it's so hard to to find out how to do that kind of stuff as well um yeah so you know what what do you google <laughs> I, exactly. I was doing lots of googling and not finding anything that was what i was what i had in my head it's a really lost art i think that kind of file setup for print mm. in that you know indesign is once you know how to use some of those things in and, and if you know how to use photoshop and stuff there are lots of weird ways that they talk to each other or if you're setting up colors correctly in photoshop it will tra- it will travel through or if you know, if you're setting up the pantones correctly it will all kind of um, flow through into InDesign, but it's say our pre-press staff here. They've worked uh, and been pre-press staff before InDesign existed, and even before Quark. One of them actually used to set up lead type. So she, they, wow. and they have they have trained themselves all the way through from that from from there all the way through to being experts in InDesign and Photoshop. So I always say to the designers, if you're not sure how something has to be set up or how you need to separate these things out go and talk to them because that's what they're there for. They would prefer you ask them. Yeah. Then you set up a file completely wrong and you send it to them and they have to redo redo it all. And I always ask them. I'm sort of like, I sometimes if I sit there going, I think this is not set up the right way, I will send the file to them or, I'll, or they'll come to my computer and we'll have a look at how to set it up so that it works the right way. And when it goes to the printer, it will print, you know, especially if you are doing different kind of, Pantone inks you're like or you want the foil to be in a different a particular way or you don't want a lamination you want like a a varnish or something like that then you kind of ask all the people I feel like that's feel like that's that's what it comes down to is just like don't be afraid to ask ask the people with the knowledge and the expertise because that's why they're here yeah and especially when you're new to it it's it's very scary to ask those questions Uh, but hearing you say that that makes me feel a lot better and I hope that will make other yes. people feel a lot better as well when i my first design my first job when i started in design and publishing i took over uh, a job from someone um who had left and it had been a while since that person had been in the job so the work had built up and so i got to i started my, my first day and it'd been three months since that person had left so there was an enormous amount that has to be done and everything had just kind of like built up and built up and built up so when i started there was so much to do and everyone assumed in some way sometimes in a good way or a bad way, that I would just know how to do everything. And I had never worked in design and publishing before. And they there were like 10 books and they were like, these all need to go to print. You need to check these proofs. Can you do image markup on those ones and then give them to that person over there? And then can you do the fi- uh, file check on all of these books? And, and I remember sitting there and I was like, I have zero idea what you're asking me to do. And luckily the production manager at that time was very generous and he talked me through a lot of things and he taught me and he was just like, okay, so this is what you do. You do this and this and this. What you're looking for is this. Use these pens, mark this up, put notes here on the side. And it was didn't take me long to work it out, but you just need you just need to ask the right people because no one expects you to know everything. And if you don't know, just ask because it's, it's not a big deal as opposed to, I think you, yeah, it's really nerve-wracking when you're young or you're junior or you're new to something that you don't want to seem like you don't know stuff, but it's it's completely fine to ask. I think no one expects everyone to know everything. Yeah. No, that's that's really good to know. How are we doing for time? Because I've got some questions about the ABDA survey. Are we okay sure, to I go on for do... those? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, yeah, let's, I've got another 15 minutes. Is that right? Okay, perfect. Yep. All right. So this was done in 2018. 
and it was a survey of 86, we, we, 83 people. Yeah, which is about two-thirds. Oh, well, got, it's about 150-ish people in the association. So it was sort of roughly we worked out two-thirds of, of the membership. Okay. So the, the bits that I found really interesting were, were the parts about uh, development and revisions and what's in the contract. And I, I would be really interested to know if this is the case across the publishing industry across the world um, and what stuff is is specific to Australia. Uh, but it said that 46% of people said that their contracts didn't stipulate the number of changes a publisher could request. And 33% said it was sometimes stipulated and 21% said it didn't, uh, that it that it did stipulate the number of changes. Um, so I'm kind of I'm curious as to what your experience with that is and what what would be a normal number of revisions in a contract if it is stipulated. That is a really uh, something that kind of yeah always doesn't sit well with me. The idea because I, I kind of always have in my head roughly how many revisions is um, acceptable in terms of how many rounds you you go back to someone before you need to offer them more money. I mean, that, and we will do that. We kind of, I will get to a point where I think this is completely unreasonable. We need to offer more money. And I will say to the publisher, do you have this amount of money? Because this is what I think we've got to the point where it's gone beyond the realms of kind of uh, what's acceptable. But there isn't an industry, um, it is a real issue. Um, there isn't an industry kind of wide policy on how many rounds someone can ask for. And I, I always feel really torn because of my role in ABDA and then my role as kind of an art director at a publishing house. I would love to be able to implement something and I would love there to be kind of, I, I think you can always have best practice, but as to whether, and that's what ABDA is aiming to do is like, this is best practice. This is a best practice brief. This is kind of the guidelines, but as to like, you know, and we're going to try and get the publishers on board, but as to whether publishers will, they're not required to follow that and they want, they and it's that thing of them going, well, you know, in an industry where people, you know, there's so many books out in the world and yes, publishing is still going relatively strong compared to other types of media, but it isn't growing like enormously. It's just growing at a steady rate. Um, there are certain parts that are growing faster than others. So you have so many books and publishers pouring more and more books out there into the market, into a really flooded market in all different genres. Uh, there is, there can be sometimes, can sometimes feel like there's some desperation where, because there's never any kind of formula to what works and what doesn't work. Sometimes just all the pieces work together, whether it's not just the design of the book, but the actual book itself, it will, you know, something that will sell. So I think sometimes publishers, you know, we try to kind of get all the information and, and get everyone on board at the same point at the start so that we don't have to do as many rounds. But I feel like at other publishing houses, that might definitely not be true, that people can work. They can just do rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds and they will never get paid any more money. Sometimes they might get killed off the job, which is really awful, especially if you have done, if you have worked on it for m months and then you get killed off the job. That's extremely disheartening and, and frustrating and really not fair. Yeah. And I think that the biggest fear that people have is that if they ask for more after a certain number of revisions, that they might not be hired again by that publisher. It depends who you're really talking with, I guess. Like if you have an art director, I think you can you can hope that they're on your side and that they are fighting for you. So that makes it easier. If you're dealing directly with a publisher, it might be harder to ask for that just because you don't know what they're thinking and they're they're you know, they're not kind of trying to be on the side or on the side of design. 
so yeah, I can, I can see that, but I think there's no harm in asking because you're well within your rights. If you have, if you have done endless rounds to say, I need to be paid more money, you know, and maybe kind of ask for a certain, ask for a certain amount of money because, and also always ask for higher because they will always come in lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's tricky. I, I knew that was the case with ABDA even before we did that survey because I've had chats with members. I know that happens. It's really people, you know, people don't want to be, it's a really like weird point where designers don't want to become too difficult to work with because as we said, there are so many other designers out there. Mm. But if you know that you're really in demand with that pub, a particular publisher and they love you and they love your work, I just think you can probably, for a start, get away with more and you shouldn't feel afraid to ask for more money because especially if you are really in favor, it's really hard to find easy. There are lots of designs out there, but there are only some who are, are really easy to work with and always deliver amazing work. And so I think if you, you know you are one of those people, then you should really be standing up for yourself a lot more. Mm. I think it's a lot easier said than done. And some of the totally, yeah. some of the comments that are on the, the report, which is well worth going and having a look at, um, we'll put the, the link to that in the in the show notes. Uh, but people saying that, you know, they, they might lose the job altogether or, you know, that they'd like to just do more and more, but also they've it's they're running a business if they've got a family to feed. But also that that fear of not getting future work if they do ask for more. Yeah, it's tricky. And I think you're right. Like it's that thing of you can't like we normally say when the if the designs come in house, we also all the designers, you have to timesheet. So um, it, it's accountable in house as well as it is out of house because, you know, there'll be a budget, whether it goes to a freelancer or whatever, this is the budget, then we divide it by an hourly rate. And so in house, we sort of go, this is the amount of hours you have to work on this book from concept to laying out the print files and sending it to print. So that's the amount of hours. And so if a book goes well over that, even into the concept phase, we will um, mention to the publisher and say, we've exceeded the budget or we're getting close to the budget. What do you want to do? We've done six rounds and you haven't liked anything or we just keep going back and forward between things. So we definitely try to make people accountable for it, whether or not that makes anyone less worried or stop kind of fussing is a completely different story. And we can't make them do that. All we can do is alert them to the fact that this is where we're at. So basically... It's, for, for the in-house designers, it, it's actually probably worse for the publishers because it all comes back onto their bottom line at the end. If someone has spent two or three times the amount of time on it, that design fee will be enormous against you know the books in the books kind of costing. So that's not it's not it's in their best interest to kind of kind of move on with things and actually decide what they think and make a decision and go from there. Yeah. Uh, so I then wanted to move on to kill fees because. Yep. Um, so if you're starting out in in the world of publishing, kill fees might not be something you're familiar with. So yep. my understanding of it is it's a, a fee that if if the designs get killed, which means that they're not going to be going forward, then the, the designer gets paid a certain amount, which is normally a, a percentage of the final fee, which is to cover the time that they've spent so far. Um, yep. So and then on the on the survey, it says that most people, most designers feel that kill fees set by publishers are unfair considering the amount of work because my understanding is that a, a design can be killed at many stages. So it may be that you're nearly to the end and it gets killed or it might be at the concepts round. 
Correct. And I guess I don't know what other publishers do, but I kind of, it, it depends how far along the process for me is how much I offer. And I will always ask the publisher and say, this is what I think is reasonable. Are you okay with that? And then we will offer it to the designer. And I think we, I mean, I hope, I don't know what other, <laughs> I don't know what some of the designers that we have fired off things. I mean, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to when someone doesn't nail it. Cause there are plenty of extremely talented designers that I have had to kill off projects because normally it's normally because it's it's gone in a completely different direction. So we'll have worked up one or two rounds and then someone's had a brainwave, whether it's the publisher or marketing or sales or whoever, and then we've it's we've completely shifted the book into a different way. And I think, well, that's no longer, first of all, that's no longer that designer's type of work, but also it's a really unfair to that person that we've moved it, you know, into a, it's it's going to look completely different. So I will first of all normally go back to a designer and say, do you want to keep working on this? This is actually where we're going. It's changed. I'm really sorry. Do you want to keep working on it, or would you rather just leave it there? So I normally offer, uh, normally offer the kill fee to people, especially if I think. Well, it, it's kind of well, it's for a few different ways. I think if I think they can still nail it, and but they're not sure that they can nail it, I will ask them and say, do you want to have another go at it? And if they say, I think you know, I'm spent and I don't have any other ideas, then that's fine. Or if I think that they have done a couple of rounds and they haven't nailed it and I don't think they can nail it, then that's when I'll off, just offer the kill fee because I think this is easier for both of us. I don't. I think they're really struggling and they're not really kind of finding where it needs to be. So I always, I generally try to do it within one or two rounds. I don't let it go on for really long. And I think if you do let it go on really long and it is really, they have worked on it as much as it, they would a final cover, then you have to pay them the full fee. So we normally will pay them. If it was if it was a lot, I just sort of think we have to wear it and you will pay the entire design fee to someone if they've worked on it for five or six rounds. But yeah. if they've done one round and it wasn't right and then you give them another go and say, oh, I think it needs to be more this and they do it again and it's still not great, that's normally when I'll kind of call it there and I'll say, I think we need to change designer, whether we bring it in-house or we try someone else because I think two rounds is kind of – that's reasonable. You've given someone two goes. I think one round is too soon because you don't really know and that's that I always think – People might just need a second go and they'll and they'll nail it. So I think two goes is a good amount for both the designer and the publisher to kind of say, okay, we we tried things and it's not working. Um, and I think that seems reasonable and no one's ever kind of said it. It probably wasn't. Yeah, and and I think from a publisher's point of view knowing what isn't working and then also from the designer's point of view knowing what the publisher doesn't like is sometimes nearly as helpful as knowing what they do like yeah yeah so then you can you can rethink it on the second round yeah i think that's a good Correct. policy yeah and i think you need to be really specific about your feedback that's the thing like i always think really let the designer know what's not working you don't need to, as i said before you don't need to tell them what you want it to be um, or you can give them some directions and go it's kind of like this but it's like this and some you know visual cues but I think tell them what's not working because otherwise, as you said, if you you can't and I this is what I always say to publishers, I can't come back to a designer and say we don't like it. And if that's there's got to be more in there. Like what is it? Is it is it the colors? Is it the font? Is it the way the images are used? Is it we've got to be specific. Otherwise, it doesn't help them move in. They can't shift the dial and move anywhere else if you give them nothing to work with. Yeah. So that final fee uh, at at the end. When you invoice for the whole thing, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm my understanding is that's that's for the time, but also then for the rights to the image. So a kill fee doesn't include any of the the rights, so that any work that's been done still belongs to the designer. Is that correct? 
Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we have had because we have had if you haven't if if the design the job hasn't been completed, then the publisher hasn't really doesn't really own the copyright to use that design. So you can't yeah. just use someone's concepts and then just like you go, oh, we've paid them, and then we're just going to sneakily use that. I that's happened a few times here and maybe other places I've worked at where someone has said, I can't we just use that old concept from that person and we'll just do it for this. And I say, well, then we have to use that designer because that's their design work. I'm yeah. not going to, that, that it's just legally dubious and odd to do that. And there's no point, like there's no point in that, as you said, if you're working on a new book and someone references a concept from another book, you think, and they say, oh, let's, can, could we just use something like that? You think, well, let's just use that designer because it's their work. Like we'll ask them and they'll probably say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see, yeah, how, how any other way around that, really. Mm. And then usage rights. So this is something that's also in the, the survey and that a lot of people yeah. were confused about. Well, it, it was interesting because 70% of people said that they had a general sense of copyright and then on all the specific things, most people were unsure. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, I know that you've put together some solutions or you're putting together some solutions to some of these problems, like a standard contract. Um, yep. But what what about the copyright side of things? And what can designers do to, to learn more about usage rights, especially if, if they're on the illustration and photography side of things? Well, illustration and photography, unfortunately, is much more protected. And I have challenged that even when I've worked in-house, being an art director, I have talked to, it's not even really the publishers that, because they're kind of fine in a way, but actually, the, we have like, say, here at Harper, we have a copyright and uh, – or not copyright. We have like a um, – we have a team that deals with rights and contracts. And so they're the people that put the contracts together. And then we also have legal counsel and we have people that kind of all work in that area um, advising on things. So I have, you know, say my – even here at Harper, we ask the designer to assign us the copyright for – or we own the copyright for their design for all the other versions that we want to do afterwards. So say if there's a B format or we want to, or it goes to Harper overseas, it's all owned by us. So that's in the contract. And I even made us as a result of, because of the survey, I made us tighten up those words in the contract because I didn't want it to be vague when a designer was reading it. So I made sure that it, it really said that and that it, it wasn't just kind of, because I, I, I thought, look, even if I can't change the dial and that we're not going to kind of uh, just kind of license it for that of that particular edition. And then, you know, you might be able to get, uh, you might be able to kind of relicense it for a different editions. Some publishers I think do that, not many, but that wasn't kind of an option here, but at least I thought, well, I can tighten up the wording so that it's, there's no question that people know what's happening. Cause I think there are a lot of, and we do have like legal clauses at the end of our contract, which I don't think a lot of publishers do at all. They probably don't do as many kind of, legal things and ask a designer to sign it at the bottom and so i really wanted to make sure that there was it wasn't kind of if a designer wasn't sure if they went back to the contract and they read the legal kind of section of the contract there was no question in their head of what their rights were and what the publisher's rights were so i made sure that we changed that and our legal counsel did that for us and we floated that into all contracts from then but yeah, Abda's going to do a sample brief and a sample contract we're working with the apa which is the australian publishers association to they're going to help us get that out to publishers and get the word out and just sort of they said they're happy to kind of also look over it from a publisher's point of view um, and give us their thoughts on that, which is really helpful because I think sometimes if you just, you know, say if you're just book designers and even Abda in itself operating a bit in a, in a little bit of a silo and you're just kind of screaming into a vacuum. And so I think working with the APA, which is a, quite a big body in Australia, 
where all the major publishers are part of it. If we can get them on side and their president and I have had a chat and she's completely, she was like, yeah, I think this is a great idea. I mean, they had done the same thing for editors and editorial contracts and looked at those sort of rights. And I think it's time that that happened for book designers. It's only ever going to be a best practice thing. And you're going to, even if both of the bodies are saying, we think this is what the industry needs to look at, you can't make a publisher because they're a commercial company. You can't make them do those things. You can just kind of guide them and say, this is what is be- is is best for the local industry and for local book designers, and then hope that their conscience guides them in the right direction. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing some wonderful things with APTA. Trying, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's... Um... Yeah, there, there are some great resources on, on the site and it's it's definitely worth having a look at and I'll, I'll look forward to seeing those those samples. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. Have a good day. Nice, nice to speak to you. Yeah, yeah you, you too. too. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to rate and review us too. This show is hosted by Holly Dunn and edited by Eric Wilder. Our theme song is Sweet Berry Wine by Blue Wednesday. And Spine is a production of Spine Magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.